Welcome to the Dragon Slayer podcast by East Idaho Credit Union. Today's guest, the CEO of East Idaho Credit Union, Dan Thurman. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Woo! Good to be here. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's super fun to have you here. This is an interesting kind of podcast because we cover a couple of different topics and they're all related to some cool experiences that you've had. We called it Dragon Slayer because we really wanted it to be about, you know, businesses and business leaders overcoming difficult obstacles in their path to growing their businesses. And um, gosh, I've worked for you for just over a year. And we've had lots of conversations about your Probably tenure. Probably feels like 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently aging at about seven years a year right now. So that, that's been nice. I, have more, I don't have many gray hairs. It'll come. Give but it I've time. got a, more than I did when I started a year ago. If you're like me, sure. you lose the hair before it turns gray. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> we were actually talking about a, a contest in a, in a senior team meeting. And uh, one of the suggestions was, yeah, we could shave your head if you lose the contest. And uh, Dan was like, I got to hold on to what I've still got here. I'm afraid it wouldn't come back. <laughs> like, I have to hold on to the little bit I do have. I, I don't that going to be the entire senior team, that contest? That's, that I, was I, the I, proposal. <laughs> Dang. That's not fair to the women. It's, it's <laughs> off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, Dan vetoed that idea. Yeah. It wasn't my suggestion. I would just like to let that be known. But I was willing. I'd shave this these beautiful locks if it came to it for the greater good. Right? Um, so Dan, what I want to do is I want to go through kind of your background and your history. You've been with the credit union for a long time, uh, basically your whole career. Um, you had a couple odd jobs like in college and then, uh, then this. So tell us first, how did you get to the credit union? How did this happen to you? How did I end up at the credit union? Mm. It's an interesting story because Mm. I was, I was going to school. Uh, at ISU, and I was I was headed back to Montana. I'm from Montana originally, and in between semesters before I'd been married, I was working at an assisted living home up in Montana, and I loved working with those older uh, patients, guests, residents. I guess we'd call them residents, mm. and I knew the family. They were friends friends of my my family, and in fact, I graduated from school. Uh, high school with their daughter and I was gonna go back and buy that that business and that was my goal and as I was going through school I was working at Albertsons and Shelley it's Brolum's now but it was Albertsons at the time Mm. and they started cutting my hours back and I had a young family I had a young son and I was worried that I was gonna lose my insurance benefits Mm. and so I started looking for a job just to get me through the end of school and I applied for a loan officer position at East Idaho Credit Union. I thought it was the East Idaho Credit Union right next to the Albertsons and Shelley. <laughs> and I went in for an interview, and the interview was here, well, not here at Ammon, but at the main office mm-hmm. on Woodruff. And I interviewed with Cindy Mitchell, mm. a legend at the Credit Union. A legend. She was, she's been here, she'd been at the Credit Union for a long, long time, and was the branch manager. And so I interviewed with her, and learned that it was a loan officer position at the main office. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to get that, that position as mm-hmm. a loan officer. Uh, it's interesting because knowing Cindy the way I know Cindy now, she didn't hire college students because um, hmm. she didn't want to work around their schedule. She didn't want to <laughs> deal with that, right? And so she just didn't 
hire college students. And not only did she hire me as a college student, but she worked around my school schedule. And hmm. I had like six months left of school. And did you ever ask her, like, why did you take a chance on me when this is sort of against your normal procedure? I do, but I don't remember what she said. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to ask her that yeah, question. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, and so I started out as a loan officer, still intent on going back to Montana. Mm. And um, we were far enough along in the transaction with the assisted living home. They were sharing tax returns, um, you know, full open disclosure of everything. I, uh, you know, I knew where things were at. It was moving along. And um, I got a phone call from them one day, and they said, we have some bad news. And I said, okay, what's the bad news? And they said, uh, we can't sell it to you right now. Uh, the bank won't let us. They were going to finance it for me personally. I wasn't going to get a loan. They were just mm -hmm. going to finance it for me. I'd mm -hmm. pay them directly and pay it off. And mm -hmm. it was a sweet deal. And, uh, but they sold some money on it, and the bank wouldn't let them sell it to me with mm -hmm. them owing mm -hmm. money on it. And mm -hmm. As a loan officer, I said, oh, that makes sense. I understand. Mm -hmm. I, I loved what I was doing as a loan officer. I said, perfect. How long do you have left? And they said, we can probably have it paid off in a year. And so I said, great, I'll keep working, doing what I'm doing. And, and so I stayed at the credit union. Uh, in that year time frame, there was a position that opened up at Maine for an assistant branch manager. Mm. I applied for that, got the, got the position. And it was a couple months after that, they called me back and they said, okay, we're ready. <laughs> and that's when my family and I had a hard decision to make. And, mm. uh, my wife's from Bear Lake, Montpelier area in Idaho. I'm from Montana. And we were right in between both families, and we kind of liked what we were doing. There's a lot of opportunity with being self-employed, um, but there's you know pros and cons with both. And so we're a ton of risk those. to it. Too. A lot of risk, yeah. yeah. And ultimately, for me, one of the big driving factors was you know the credit union had benefits, they had insurance, <laughs> they had all that type of security, yeah. retirement. Um, there's a lot of opportunity with being self-employed, but I chose to stay at the credit union and. Uh, another factor that played into that, um, there was a vice president of lending. So remember, I started out as a loan officer, and I love loans, mm. love lending. And there was a vice president of lending. He was a little bit older, another legend of the credit union, mm. Doug Stone. And I thought, maybe someday I could be Doug Stone. Mm. And so I just received the promotion to be an assistant manager. I could see a little bit of a career path that I, potentially I could be Doug Stone someday. Mm. And the security of the, the credit union, the benefits, the... Um, just the work environment as a whole, I, I decided to stay, and yeah. the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to the rest of the history in a minute, but have you ever looked back on that that moment, that pivotal moment where you made the decision of, is it the credit union or is it this assisted living facility, and thought, man, what could have been there? Did I make a mistake? Have you ever had that moment? You know, I, I look at it, and you, you see and you hear headlines about all the regulations and the changes in mm. the healthcare industry. Mm. Mm. And not that financial institutions were, other, were are sure. without regulation. Like <laughs> we're, we're very highly regulated. Yeah. But, man, I'm glad I made the choice. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that would have taken you and your family back to Montana. Mm -hmm. Is that in Dillon? Is yep. that where is that? That's where you're from, Dillon. Yeah, so my dad was born and raised in Blackfoot. Uh, mm -hmm. My, he moved up to Montana. Uh, my mom is raised in Montana, Dillon, a Dillon girl. So just two hours north of Idaho Falls. And um, we spent a lot of time in Idaho. My grandparents on my dad's side were down here, aunts, uncles. Most of my cousins were here. On my mom's side, I have uh, one set of cousins or, or you know, one uncle. And 
his his kids are down in we're down in California, mm-hmm. so we didn't see them as often. So most of my most of my cousins, most of my family time was was down here in Idaho. So we spent a lot of time down. Yeah, there. yeah. You're you're, I mean, maybe you weren't born here, but yours Idaho is anybody I know. I think <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, okay, so you hear a lot of politicians talk about I'm fourth generation Idaho and fifth generation Idaho, and I look at Idaho and I look at my my roots in Idaho and. And I always ask, well, can I claim that I'm a fifth-generation Idahoan, <laughs> even though I was born in Montana? You know? <laughs> but uh, truly, Idaho is, is my home. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Dan and I have met with a bunch of politicians of the state, uh, you know, and it is he's right. They lead with, like, oh, yeah, I'm fourth-generation, I'm fifth-generation. I think one person even said I'm an eighth-generation Idahoan, yeah. and I was trying to work wow. out in my head how that was possible. They, they were in Idaho before Idaho was Idaho. <laughs> I think that's yeah, they were old mountain men or something yeah. like that. Yeah, fur trappers. Yeah. Okay, so you make the decision to stay. You're a loan officer. Now there's a number of years between that and CEO. Tell us about that path. At East Idaho Credit Union, we're a full-service business lending center. We can help with all of your needs, from a small startup all the way to a large enterprise and everything in between. Our commercial loan officers will work with you to understand your business and to help get you to the next level. Come check us out at eastidahocu.org slash business. Okay, so you make the decision to stay. You're a loan officer. Now there's a number of years between that and CEO. Tell us about that path. Yeah. So I started out as a loan officer at the main office, and um, that was great. I loved loans. I, I've always thought um, in numbers, and, and I've, I'm always, I've always been really good with money, fascinated with money, interest, you know, having money work for you instead of against you. And so um, loan officer was really cool because I got to add some tools to my arsenal, learn some things that I didn't know about before, apply things that I learned in college, and then really help members do the same thing, help mm. them improve their lives, help them save money, help them package things in a way that would uh, be beneficial for them long term. Mm. So I loved it. Um, my heart's always been in lending. Um, and then as an assistant manager, you know, I supervised the teller line, and I had never been a teller before. Mm. Um, you know, I started out as a loan officer. A lot of our employees start out as tellers and work mm-hmm. their way up. I started out as a loan officer. And so I actually I, think teller is that that's got to be like the scariest and most difficult job in the credit union. I actually I thought if I was supervising tellers, I needed to understand what they did. I needed to be a teller. And so, yeah. so I I pulled a cash drawer. We didn't have recyclers back then. Mm. The, the tellers use now uh, or most of our tellers use now. And so I pulled a teller drawer and I learned to be a teller and. I remember every night those tellers that hold their breath as I was trying to balance out, right? <laughs> and, and I was never off. I never had, well, I won't say I was never off. There was never an outage that I didn't find, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but they held their breath. I, I made it through. I, it, but it gave me a good foundation and understanding of what they did on, mm. on the job yeah. and how they interact with our members and the pressures that they feel. And, and so I appreciated that experience. Um, so I want to ask you about this just a little bit more because it, this is a scenario a lot of business leaders end up getting themselves into, what you just described, right? You're now over this department or you started your own company and you've got these departments and these functions that you don't necessarily have a level of expertise in. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about like mm-hmm. a, a guy who starts his own company 
and he's highly creative. Maybe he's a great salesman, but now he's got to deal with accounting, right? And he's not an accountant. He doesn't have any training in that, doesn't know what he's doing. Or now he's trying to do marketing and he doesn't have any, any training in that. What would you recommend to somebody who is in a position where they've got to wear a hat that they're not used to wearing and they've got to figure out how to develop a level of maybe not even expertise, but they just got to be dangerous. How do you get there? Yeah. Um, you just got to be humble and ask mm -hmm. and get in and dig in and learn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people think that they're above something, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm the manager. I'm not going to sweep the floors. I'm not going to pick up the garbage. I'm not going right. to do whatever. And, right. And you shouldn't ever be above anything like if you expect an employee to do it you should be willing to do it yourself yeah and and being humble enough to go and, and say look i don't know can you teach me can you help me understand um and it builds trust between you and, and your team mm -hmm. right and so the tellers taught me a ton mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in working with them directly i was able to teach them a lot mm -hmm. and then we had a better relationship and i was able to help them make referrals back to the loan side a little mm -hmm. bit easier. And, and so I, I think it was a good experience on both ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I've always recommended to people, and you, I think you make the great point, like you got to be humble about mm -hmm. this stuff, right? Um, the expertise may not be in the building, and that's okay because mm -hmm. it exists somewhere. Go find it. Go make friends. Go expand your network. Um, you know, go work with people, go take people to lunch that do know what they're doing, that do know what they're talking about. It's one of the easiest ways to get like expert level advice for almost nothing, right? Yeah. To just be a friend and uh, develop your network. And that's something that you can call on frequently and, and as, as much as you really need to and get you like really, really good insights into a topic that you just don't have familiarity with. You know, as I look back at my time at the credit union, when I mm. first started out, I was at the main office and the advantage there, it was back before we did a lot of video meetings and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So the advantage of being at the main office was if I had a question, I'd go upstairs mm -hmm. I'd talk to the chief lending officer. I'd talk to the chief operations officer. I'd mm -hmm. talk to the CEO. I'd talk to whoever. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself uh, early on in my career, I would learn my job and I'd try and learn it well and do a good job with it. And then I'd try and learn other people's jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd ask a lot of questions and, and I had access to more resources because people were just there. Mm -hmm. And I think that accelerated my career. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I always give to people is um, your competitors are not your enemies. Yeah. Mm. Right. Make them your friends. Like if you're friends with your competitors um, and you go to lunch with them and you sit down and you talk to them, you get to compare notes and, you know, the tide raises all ships at that point. And uh, it, it's something that I see a lot of people make mistakes on is they'll look at the competitor across the street and say, that's the enemy. We got to destroy them. And yeah, you're going to do that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but the reality is, is there's usually enough pie for everybody to have a slice, right? And you can work together to get bigger slices for both of you. One of my uh, best friends in the credit union industry is is a competitor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kent Orm at Idaho Central. Yeah, credit yeah, union. of course. Yeah. He just announced his retirement and uh, he's been a mentor of mine and and a friend, a true friend. And I sent him a text and I said, man, I'm so glad our paths have crossed. Mm. I'm, I'm proud to call you my friend. And 
he, he sent a really nice text back. And, mm. um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of credit union leaders, a lot of business leaders, financial institution leaders that'll push others away because they're successful. Yeah. And I've found that, you know, if you embrace other leaders and are friends with them, uh, you can help them, they can help you. And mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget when COVID first hit and it was all unknown and we didn't know how to deal with it. And Idaho Central is massive, right? They're a lot yeah. bigger than us. Yeah. And so they'd, they'd been dealing with it a little bit longer than we had. They'd had a little bit more experience with it. And, and we had an employee, that, uh, a group of employees that tested positive at one of our branches. And, and I'd heard Kent Orem at Idaho Central say that they had this fog machine that could sanitize a building. And, and because we were, because of that friendship we had, I reached out and I just said, hey, Kent, is there any way that I could borrow or use your fogging machine? And, and he says, even better, I'll tell me where and when, and I'll send my guy and mm. my crew there. Mm. And awesome. so they came in and they fogged our building for us and, and got us set up. And we brought a new team in the next morning to, to open the branch and, and not miss a beat to be able to serve our members. Yeah. And not only did they fog it, but then they, they shared with us what the equipment was mm-hmm. and how to use it and where they bought it. And, mm-hmm. and we got our own setup. And, you know, we're competitors, but, but we're there for each other as yeah. well. What a, what a classy move by Kent to do yeah. something like that. I love that. Okay, so you're, you're assistant manager. You yeah. just learned how to be a teller. Mm-hmm. Um, what next? So in 2008, uh, the credit union was building a new branch. We hadn't <laughs> built a branch forever and, and we built a new branch in Ammon. Mm. And in this building. This is it yeah, right here. Yeah. And so we, we opened this branch in 2008 and I applied to be the manager and was fortunate and got selected to be the manager. So I came out here in 2008 and um, hired the team. We had about half of the team that we started with came from within the organization. Mm-hmm. Half the team came from outside the organization. Alicia Jones, uh, another legend of the credit union, mm-hmm. uh, she she started out here, mm-hmm. not started, but she came out to Ammon with me, was my assistant manager, and yep. we we kicked things off, and and uh, man, it was a blast. Mm-hmm. It was so fun to create a, a a brand new team and open a new branch, do some things that hadn't been done in the credit union before. Mm-hmm. We kind of took the first steps into cross selling and and tracking those types of things. And we created our own homegrown Excel spreadsheet with the team on, <laughs> on how to cr- track cross sales. And we did a lot of training on that. Yeah. It and sounds like 2008. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we, that was kind of the first glimpse of, of that for the credit union. Yeah. And, and we must've done something right because that branch was super successful. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, between Alicia and I, there were months that we were closing almost $2 million a month in loans out of this mm-hmm. branch. And, and we were opening accounts left and right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and teller, teller transactions were going well. We had lines out the door and uh, good times. Yeah. A lot of fun. Okay, so I want to ask you, <laughs> the, the, the big elephant there is 2008, mm-hmm. huge economic downturn that the, the whole world was experiencing. <laughs> Uh, you're a new branch manager of a financial institution, right? Like there was no bigger target on anybody than financial institutions. What was that experience like living through that financial crisis at a financial institution? I was probably young and naive and I just didn't (laughs) know any better, right? And so I just, it didn't phase me. I just did my job. I just did what I, a, a lot of what I, a lot of my career, the things that I've done are things that I wish I would have had. So mm. Mm. I think back and I'm like, man, what what do I wish I would have had as a loan officer, mm. as a teller, as a 
whatever, right? What, what support do I wish I would have had from my executive leadership team? Mm-hmm. And so in 2008, uh, my leadership team was pretty supportive. I could do what I needed to do. They, they gave me pretty much full reins to, within reason, right, to, right. To, to do things, try things. And so a that's lot of my that favorite response, was, by, by the way, that's my favorite response Dan gives me when I ask about some crazy idea. Like, what do you think about this? And he's like, yeah, as long as it's, you know, within reason. Within reason. <laughs> within reason. <Yeah. laughs> that qualifies everything. Right? <laughs> so, you know, we just, we just went to work and, and tried to start implementing some of those things that we wanted, mm-hmm. that Alicia and I wanted, that the team wanted, and that made sense to us. And, and we found something that worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started working with some dealers, an RV dealer here in town, and they would send us an application over. We'd approve them, you know, send back an approval, and they'd send the member over, and we'd meet with that member and then find on their credit report an, another truck or car loan or credit card, and, and we knew that we could save them money. And so mm-hmm. we'd do the RV loan and a truck loan and a car loan and a credit card mm-hmm. and, and move their accounts over, and we just had a, a ton of success, mm. and it was just a blast. You know, I the same era, I was working at a little technology company, and... Um, we were growing and things were going well. And then that downturn started to hit and, um, we had a line of credit through a big national bank and they pulled our line of credit our, it, and we basically couldn't pay anybody. We couldn't do anything. And, um, a group of us kind of got together and we're all like, what are we going to do? Is this, Maybe this is it. Should have gone to a credit union. Should have gone to a credit union. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right, actually. Um, you know, more we, sympathetic. You know what we actually was. did? We <laughs> actually ended up leaving that bank, and we went. It, we didn't go to a credit union, but we did go to a small local bank that was much easier to work with, and yeah. ultimately probably saved that business. But um, we we got together and we were like, well, what do we do? And and a lot of us elected to stay at the company, not take a salary and just try to ride the thing out and they just um, paid you in food they you know what they actually <laughs> paid us in was, food it was equity in the company okay that's what they paid us in and so they were just my paycheck was equity in the company um, which only goes so far for a company that's not worth anything right mm-hmm. <laughs> but that ended up going really well but um you know, one of the things that we decided as a group is we were like, we know that there's an economic downturn, but we're just not going to participate in it. All right, we're just going to keep going, mm-hmm. head down. And we grew through the entire recession. Um, and that company ended up being, you know, really big and really successful down the line. And had we not made some of those decisions, it gave us like this, like scar tissue where we were like, we're not worried about outside forces nearly as much as a lot of other people were because we'd lived through this experience of of saying that we're not going to participate in that. Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. And it changed that organization in a major, major way. But that's kind of that's kind of like our experience at the Ammon Branch in yeah. 2008. We, yeah. The leadership wasn't telling us that these things were affecting us, and we just didn't know. We were naive. We just – yeah. We didn't just care. Went out and did. Yeah, didn't yeah. care. Yeah. Well, and I think, man, your leadership probably got it right. Yeah. You know, they got to probably spend sleepless nights worrying about yeah. it. But let they them worry about it. Let us execute. And right? they let you get to work. I like it. Yeah, that's great. Okay. I'm over here trying to relate. I was a freshman in high school. I'm like, 
<laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, guys, do you remember in like 1992 when this thing happened? And they're like, we weren't born yet. When that <laughs> happened. So. Um, okay, so you live through that whole experience. You're a branch manager. What what happens next? What's the next stop in our time? Yeah, so remember earlier I said there was a, a legend named Doug Stone. Yeah. The VP of lending and and Doug retired. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited that I had an opportunity to be VP of lending. Mm-hmm. And so I waited a little while and the credit union didn't post a VP of lending position, but they posted they kind of split it up and they posted a AVP of lending and an AVP of ops position. Mm-hmm. So I applied for the AVP of lending, mm-hmm. and a little while later, I got a phone call from the executive vice president, and, and he said, um, Dan, would you be interested in the AVP of ops position as well? And I hadn't really thought of it, but I said, mm, sure, I, I guess, you know. So I, they scheduled an interview. I went in for the interview. and um, So real quick, Dan, for people who don't know, who aren't from our industry, What's the difference in those two positions, AVP of lending, AVP of ops? So lending deals with all things loans, mm-hmm. obviously, and mm-hmm. then operations is all things operations, the branches, the um, – I don't know at the time that ops had uh, – they, they didn't, in fact. Now our ops team has cards and ACH and all the electronic mm-hmm. stuff, the mobile app. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, it was mainly the branches. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so, so that was a, the difference – so they scheduled the interview. I went in for the interview, and they'd ask a question, and I'd answer about lending because that's what I wanted. Right? Mm-hmm. I want to be Doug Stone, mm-hmm. the man, the myth, the legend. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I'd answer the question about lending, and they'd say, well, what about ops? And, mm-hmm. and so then I would, I would throw something out there, and, and they'd ask another question. I'd answer about loans, and that's how the interview went back and forth. And um, a couple days after the interview, I got a phone call. And they offered me the AVP of ops position. <laughs> and I thought, were you not listening? <laughs> and so it kind of it, it kind of caused me to pause for a minute. And I had to, I didn't say yes immediately. I mm. had to think about it. Um, but I loved what I did at the M branch. And, and the ops position would allow me to, to work with all of our branch managers. Mm-hmm. We had 10 branches at the time. And so... I took a day or two, thought about it, and ultimately accepted the, the mm-hmm. position. And so then I started supervising our, our 10 branches and started taking some of the things that we did at Ammon, the things that we'd been trying and, and experimenting with, and, and started working with the other branches to, to see how those things fit there. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you took some of you know the models that you had tried at Ammon and tried to bring it to the other branches, how did that go? <laughs> it, it depended on the yeah. on the branch and on the manager and on uh-huh. the team, right? Uh-huh. And all of them were different. Um, but the fact of the matter remained that what we'd been doing in Ammon was successful. Mm-hmm. Like we, I go to managers' meetings on a monthly basis when I was the man, branch manager at Ammon, and they'd review numbers and productivity, and there was a clear difference. Right? Mm-hmm. Our branch was outperforming probably the rest of the branches combined, mm-hmm. and. And so while there was some hesitation, some resistance at times, like they understood there, yeah. there was something that was working there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how, and I've watched it throughout my career, where people will see it and they'll be like, yeah, it, it's working, but they won't make the connection from it's working to maybe I should do it too. Yeah. Um, 
which I think is more of a uh, kind of an evaluation of human beings more than anything yeah. else, right? We're resistant to ideas that aren't our own, mm. even if they're good ideas. Um, it, it's it's actually a really consistent issue that anybody, especially starting like a small company um, or running your own company of any kind, they get to experience that, yeah. right? I, I've, well, and some of those managers have been with the credit yeah, forever. Forever. Well, in 30 years, Cindy, what does this kid know? Cindy was my boss. She's right. the one that hired me, right? <laughs> now I'm her boss. And so, you know, that's always a strange There's always dynamic different, too. different dynamics there. But, um, and I, and I also tried really hard to go in and, and build on what they were doing. Yeah. They were doing wonderful things. Yeah, of as course. Well. Yeah, of course. So you take that and add some, some new tools, some new programs, and, and, I think that makes it a little more palatable too. I have a friend who he started a consulting company and, you know, 30 years of expertise. He's one of the best in the country at what he does. And people would hire him to come in and consult. And he'd say, okay, you exactly what you talked about. You're doing this well. Here's the things that I would adjust and change. And they'd pay him a bunch of money for him to say that to them. And then they'd say, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's change an interesting thing. Yeah, change I, is very difficult. I think one of the things that helped those managers the most was, remember the question that I asked earlier, what would I want as yeah. a manager that I wasn't getting? And so yeah. those were kind of the things that I tried to pull into the Ammon branch. Yeah. Well, now all of a sudden I'm going out to them and saying, hey, what would you like? Here's some information that I used at mm-hmm. Ammon branch. And starting to be able to provide that on an organization-wide level. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, that was easy for them to accept. Yeah. To, to have the data, to have the information. That yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So AVP of ops, mm-hmm. never wanted it, ended up there anyway. Yeah. Right. What, what happens next? So there was an interesting transition at the credit union. Yeah. Let's talk and, about that. Um, the AVP of lending uh, came in from a competitor and was going to, you know, save the credit union on the lending side, and uh, that didn't really pan out. And there were a lot of uh, ripples there, a lot of division, and um, your your raisins going stale and your phones ringing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all laughing at me that my phone just buzzed. Let me see. Was that actually me? Yes, no. it was. My my vibrates off. Well, well, it's not. still it can still go off. How? We heard it back here. I mean, I heard it too. That happens <laughs> to me all the time. You know where it came from? Right there. Whose phone is that? That's Andrea's. That is um, not. Oh. Ed, this is your fault. Dang. <laughs> Ed's responsible for all this beautiful lighting. He gets yeah. a pass. Yeah, he gets a pass. <laughs> that buzz. And Zach is like, I thought it was me. I'm, I'm holding my phone and I still look for it on the table. That's amazing. It's every episode, Dan, this, this seems to happen. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Please continue. I don't remember where we were. I think it was was it AVP of Ops. The yes. transition. Yes. So, so yeah. you brought it. They brought in the new AVP of Lending. He was going to okay. save the world. She was going to save. She the world. was going to yeah. save the world. And the, and the transition, the credit union. So AVP of Lending comes in. She's going to save the credit union. Yeah. Things didn't pan out that way. Um, <laughs> she she had a good job, but um, she was 
how would I describe her? Mm. Kind of a how would you describe her? Kind of a like a bull in a china cabinet. Okay, just, you know, yeah, just run over people yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and um, so at the time there was there was a lot of divisiveness in the credit union, and I was fairly new um, on that leadership yeah, team. To your you know, role. I started yeah. I started working with that senior leadership team, and um, I remember we had an exam, and. Uh, I walked out of that accident interview with the examiners thinking, whoa, um, what's going on? You know, mm. Just some basic organization stuff. Um, I tried to, one of the things that was kind of a cleanup issue was some policies. Mm. And so I went to try and find some of these policies and one was on a, a jump drive and one was on a an actual hard hard drive on a, someone's mm-hmm. personal computer and one was in a fi- a paper printout on a file mm. in a file folder one was one on was, a floppy disk yeah you know they they were just all over it wasn't organized so we had to tackle that um so I started working on some of those things to get some of that exam stuff cleaned up yeah so for people who don't know explain what one of these exams is cuz this is a big deal <laughs> so an exam is um Basically, a distraction of your life <laughs> for a two to three week period. I hope the Department of Finance isn't listening right now. But. Oh, I, I would tell them the same thing. So, a distraction of your life for two to three weeks, and then however long it takes you to work through any findings or, or yeah. clean up from it, right? Yeah. Is it but, once a year? Uh, it depends. Mm. Yeah. And so, they they come in, and their their goal is to make sure that financial institutions in Idaho are operating in a safe and sound yeah. manner, right? Yep. And so. It's not a bad thing, but it it does distract you from what you're trying to do on a business right. perspective. So you have to stop and you have to work with examiners and you have to clean things up and and it's all good. It's yeah. just a distraction, yeah. right? Yeah, our and, and it's all things that, it's all things that, that need to happen. It's not mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. yeah, and the and the department um, has changed a lot over the years as well. They're uh, I feel like they're much more of a partner now. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they still hold us accountable and we still mm-hmm. have to do, but. Man, sometimes in the past it was my way or the highway. Mm. Uh, an examiner would get on a his interpret his or her interpretation of a of a statute or a, a reg, mm-hmm. and it could be interpreted fifty different ways. But his way or her way is the right way, and there's no there's no budging from that. And, yeah. And now I think they're doing a much better job of listening and and trying to understand different points of view and yeah. and and trying to find a, a path forward no matter yeah. what. So that's that's the exam process. They seem a lot more consultative than yeah. maybe they used to be. Yeah. And the exams will happen anywhere from well, right now, uh once you reach a certain size they they'll be a yearly no matter what. Mm. Yeah. But right now for us um they can be up to 18 months mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the next exam. But if, if there's issues, if there's concerns, it can be shorter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's institutions that will get an exam every six months. Mm-hmm. Or there's institutions that an examiner will just pop in mm-hmm. unannounced. Surprise! Every, That's every, scary. Every, <laughs> every month or so, right? <laughs> right. So there's, there's different levels. But if, if we're doing well then and everything's sound and they have confidence yeah. in the team and what's going on, it can be up to 18 months. Yeah. Right now... Can I knock on this? You vibrate? can. <laughs> <laughs> right now we're we're up to eighteen months yeah. in between exams, and we have been for a while. Yeah. So. Yeah, we we always. And I've only lived through the one that we've had here, and um, very positive. You know, the examiners are very complimentary of all the work that we're doing, and 
have a, just a ton of confidence in what we're doing too, yeah. which is nice. Okay, so going backwards in time for a minute, you're you have an exam and it's maybe didn't go great. Well, and I didn't know what to compare it to, right? <laughs> so I didn't know if this is how all exams are. I, yeah. I just didn't know, right? It felt like it probably wasn't what all exams would be, but, <laughs> but I didn't know, right? Yeah. And so we went to work and again, naive, inexperienced, young. I, I didn't know any better, so I just went to work and put yeah. my head down and started yeah. doing what I could to clean things up. And um, so I did a lot of work there. Um, at the same time, there was some... Uh, some changes that were happening in the credit union. Uh, our CEO retired, mm -hmm. longtime CEO. Mm -hmm. He had led the organization for a long time. Uh, and, and so that was hard. That was challenging for the organization. Um, there was an EVP that applied for the CEO position. Uh, I also threw my hat in the ring. Um, I knew I was young. I felt like I didn't probably have enough experience to be the CEO. But... Um, I, I knew the, the other executive that had applied, and, and I liked him. I thought, you know, I can I can do that too. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I threw my hat in the ring. And I remember after after that interview, uh, some board – so the difference, it's not like you're interviewing with the CEO to be the CEO. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a board. We have a, a seven-person board. They're all volunteers. Yeah. And uh, so I interviewed with that group, that panel of seven board members. And I think they even had a... Yeah. They're outside, the CEO's boss. Yeah. yeah. I had an outside consultant the, 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 that was on that panel tour that was helping the board mm -hmm. uh, through that process. So it was seven plus this outside consultant his, and their team. And so I interviewed and I remember afterwards um, a board member or two came up and said, wow, we, we didn't know, you know, we thought you were an idiot this whole yeah. time. Yeah, not that, not that I was an idiot, but they didn't. I wasn't on their radar, right? right. They, yeah. they didn't know. Yeah. And um, ultimately, what happened is they hired another uh, executive, mm -hmm. Brad Bogus. He came in from outside. He came in from uh, the Oregon area, Oregon Washington area. Mm -hmm. But they told me they said, "Work with Brad, mm. learn more, mm. go to Western CUNA mm -hmm. Management School. It's kind of mm -hmm. like an MBA for for credit union mm -hmm. employees." Mm -hmm. Uh, go get that done. It's a three-year program. Learn from Brad. Work with Brad. You know, build this team back up, and and you know, get ready for yeah for an opportunity in the future. Yeah. And so I did that. I I went to Western CUNA Management School three years, two weeks a, a year for for three years, and two massive projects in between each session. And um, by massive projects, like 500-page projects right. that you put together. And, um, I've read through some of actually yours. I've read through yeah. some of your old projects from that. And yeah, yeah, they, they, I, I wouldn't want to do it. And it's <laughs> so it, it was a lot of work. And and Brad came in and exceptional experience, um, great leader. Mm -hmm. Really helped transform a lot of what was going on and and focus on culture and on systems and and the right people. And and so we started working together, building team the team and. Um, and that was a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. It felt like we, so at the time we we're $250 million in assets. Mm -hmm. uh, so it felt like we were building a new credit, creating a new credit union, but we got to start with 30,000 members yeah. and $250 million <laughs> in assets. And yeah. so a unique opportunity yeah. um, and a lot of work too. The, um, the credit union hadn't filed a 990 report for a couple years or for some time and lost the tax exempt status. And so we had to work on, on getting that back and cleaning that up and 
Um, so there was just a lot of cleanup, a lot of, you know, really rebuilding systems and, and processes and the organization as a whole. And so I, I think this is an important moment in credit union history, a re, actually a really, really important moment because I don't want to say things like went off the rails. I think that's an overstatement, but, you know, things were not being done probably super, super well in the credit union. There were some, some cultural issues in the credit union and you and Brad kind of work together in a lot of ways to help change some of that stuff. This is a situation that's not uncommon in a lot of businesses where things, um, the culture gets sideways on them, where things get hard. And what did you guys do to address primarily the cultural piece? You know, Brad was a great leader from that perspective. Yeah. And, and he... He expected you to treat people right, no matter mm -hmm. what level of organization. And I, I completely agree with that, yeah. right? But to have him come in with the experience he had and to, to live that and enforce that, mm -hmm. I'll, never I'll never forget um, a, just a, an amazing example of this from Brad. Mm -hmm. So I come back from Western CUNA Management School, and we'd hired a new CFO, and he was also at Western CUNA Management School a year ahead of me. Mm -hmm. And we come back after two weeks out of the office down there doing credit union stuff. And he just graduated from Western CUNA Management School and um, come back into the office, first day back into the office. And Brad pulls me aside and says, hey, just so you know, this individual is no longer with us. And I was shocked. Yeah. I, and... Um, what it boils down to is if you didn't treat people the way that you were expected to treat people, mm. like you can't change culture if, if you say this and, and act a different way, right? Mm -hmm. And right. that was out of alignment and, and that didn't fly. Yeah. And so a change was made. Yeah. And that speaks volumes yeah. to, to how culture changed at our organization. Yeah. That's quite the commitment to... Yeah. to making sure that you're taking care of the, the organization as a whole to say, we love you, but you don't, you don't fit. That's a really hard yeah. conversation to have in a really, really painful moment. Um, but that's, you know, that's ultimately, that's what a CEO has to do, right? Yeah. They have to make the hard calls that are right for the organization. Yeah. Wow. What, what else did you guys do? What else did you guys work on to try and shift things at the credit union? Well, we were in the process of, well, systems, yeah. uh, upgrading systems. We were pretty behind on technology, yeah. on mobile apps, digital, all that type of stuff. So a lot of, a lot of focus on systems. Uh, we converted core systems, lending systems, statement processors, <laughs> pretty much everything. Um, there was was either on the docket mm -hmm. and that that's a distraction as well right because you're yeah. trying to focus on all this other stuff and then you have all this conversion work that you have to mm -hmm. do and and a lot of work to make sure that the conversion goes right and then yeah. even as much work as you put in there's always little things after the conversion that you have to clean up right. and do and fix and so uh, a lot of work on systems a lot of work on people and culture getting the right people in the right seats mm -hmm. um, treating people the right way mm -hmm. um, setting those expectations. I, I want to ask you about this because, you know, you, we've talked for a minute about, you know, sometimes people are wrong. And then we've talked about getting people in the right seats 
Can you go into some more detail about how you might, um, for somebody running their own business, like what kind of advice would you give them on making sure people are in their right seat or making sure people are on the right bus altogether? Yeah. You know, it's hard because no matter what decision you make, someone's going to be upset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's hard. And that's one piece of, of being a leader that, that you have to get whole with mm -hmm. that, that there's going to be a group or a, a, a set of individuals that is not happy. Yeah. No matter what decision you make, whether it's here, here, or right down the middle, you know, left, right, or down the middle, there's always going to be something, someone unhappy with you. And, and so if you're, if you're a people pleaser, if, if, if you're so focused on everyone has to be happy for me to be happy mm -hmm. for me to be successful, you're just going to flounder. It's not going <laughs> to leadership's right. not your thing. It's not going to, yeah. it's not going to go well. And yeah. so getting whole with that and then truly trying to make decisions that are best for the organization. And, you know, I'm not an expert at that. Um, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to make those massive changes that affect people's lives, yeah. even though it's right. Um, I, I would say the more experience I have, the better I get with it, but mm -hmm. it's, but it's hard. Yeah. And it's, it's something that you learn as you go. Um, sometimes you need a little push to get there. Mm -hmm. um, but, but ultimately, whenever a change is made, it's, it's for the best of the organization. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I truly believe that those individuals that are affected in that change, in the end, they're in a better place as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be better off for everyone in the long run. I think that's true too. I, I've always said that it's it's also unfair to the individual to keep them in some role where they can't be successful. Yep. Um, they're not happy either, right? Yeah. And there are some certainly some kind ways and um, empathetic ways that you can help somebody to find a spot that makes a lot more sense for them that they actually can be successful. And yep. to me, that's that's actual kindness, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so, all right, so you and Brad, you're doing your thing. What happens next? Um, so Brad had a track record of staying in organizations about three to four years, and mm -hmm. that held true at East Idaho as well. Mm -hmm. So um, Brad moved on, mm -hmm. uh, went to another credit union, um, and the, the board posted the CEO position again. Mm -hmm. So this is about four years after Brad had been in the organization, three or four years. And this time I applied, but this time I've applied feeling more confident. Sure. Like I, I'd completed Western Kingdom Management School. I had learned a ton. Um, I, felt, I felt prepared. I, I felt ready. Yeah. I don't think you ever feel ready, <laughs> right? But yeah. I, I felt more confident and ready yeah. to, to go through that process. And so uh, this, was, this was an interesting one because I applied and... Uh, Chris Cardwell, our CFO, applied. Mm. And Chris and I, we got along great. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris was, he, he's an amazing individual, very intelligent, mm -hmm. uh, great leader. And I thought, man, Chris would be a great CEO. Mm -hmm. um, but I also had that desire, right? And so, and, <laughs> but and I we could were, be a better one. <laughs> and we, we were friends. And so I, I honestly, I would have been fine either way. Yeah. I, I Personally, I wanted to lead the organization. Sure, mm -hmm. probably um, more fine if you got the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but honestly, if Chris would have been the CEO, I would have. That would have been. I would have supported Chris 100. Yeah. Um, 
and so I, I went into that interview and and you know answered the questions you know did my did my thing and and uh, probably the thing for me Chris was towards the end of his career and he had three or four years left I can't remember and and I'd seen that right as you go through a a, a leadership change mm. even if it's internal even if it's whatever. It disrupts things. People feel uneasy. There's That's there's right. some uncomfortableness in that change, right? Yeah. Even when it's a natural progression, mm-hmm. it's still it's still hard. Yeah. And so Chris Chris had three or four years left, and that was one of the things that I, I mentioned to the mm-hmm. board is Chris would do a great job, but if there's a a change again in three or four years, that, that just creates some uncertainty, yeah. some yeah. uneasiness mm-hmm. among the team. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that what swayed the board one way or another. Uh, hopefully it was beyond that, and it was it was because of my leadership qualities and, and that 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 stuff. But yeah. uh, ultimately, the board, uh, at the time I was serving as the interim CEO, so CEO mm-hmm. leaves and the board put me in as interim CEO. Yeah. And um, I think more than anything, this is what helped the board with their decision. So as I was the interim CEO, um, that's an interesting time as well, right? Because oh, it's got to be so weird. Because you're the leader, but you're not really the leader. But you're not, <laughs> you're not <laughs> the permanent leader, and yeah. so there were things that I wanted to change. Uh, Brad had made a couple of adjustments before he left that I didn't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Some positions and titles and mm-hmm. and whatnot, and there were some things I wanted to change, but I didn't know if I wanted to, you know. So I went to the, to some of the board members. I'm like. How much do you want me to do? Yeah. Because, like, in my mind, this makes sense. Yeah. I should you just be, want me to keep I should it be running. doing this, but I don't want to make these changes if the new CEO is going to come in and, right. and do something entirely different. I, right. And, and they, to their credit, they said, do what needs to be done. Mm. Like, mm. run the credit union. We put mm. you in as interim CEO to do that job, so mm. change it. Mm-hmm. If, if you think it needs to be changed, change it. And so I made some adjustments. So I think that, more than anything, helped the board understand that I wasn't afraid to lead, that I could lead, even in an interim scenario. Mm-hmm. And so I was interim for, for a little while and had some opportunity to make some adjustments, some changes. It's almost like they were giving me a, a trial run, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I go through the interview process, and, and they ended up selecting me. So yeah. that was pretty cool. How intimidating was it going from having, like, one boss to having seven? <laughs> like. <laughs> it, that's that's the piece that not many people understand, right? The CEO has seven bosses. None of them work here at the credit union. They're all volunteers, <laughs> and they all work in different industries. Yeah, and it's that's that's difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. one having one boss is sometimes difficult yeah. if you don't see eye to eye or yeah. if they have something right. But to have seven and entirely different personalities and and we try and have diversity on our board right so different backgrounds different geographic regions male female whatever yeah and so then you have this you have this uh this range of of opinions that you're trying and and all of them are your boss so that is that is a challenge Isado Credit Union offers business accounts that will fit your needs. We have dividend earning checking accounts and high yield savings accounts, like our brand new Velocity Money Market that earns up to 2%. Check us out at isadocu.org slash business. Okay, so you've just gotten the job as a CEO. Mm-hmm. You've lived through a lot in your last five-ish years of being a CEO, a lot of stuff, right? There's the transition there's COVID, there's all this 
stuff. There's the expansion of the organization. Tell us about, I almost feel like this is where the story really begins. <laughs> Tell us about your experiences as a CEO over the last five years, some of those big moments. So probably the first thing um, right after I became CEO, uh, we won best place to work in Idaho for yeah. all industries our size mm-hmm. um, in Idaho, not just financial institutions, but everyone. And that was big. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And that's when really I first recognized, one of the first times that I recognized that our culture was something special, mm. that, that we're doing something right. Um, culture's never perfect. Uh, we always have to continue to work at it, but we're doing something good. Yeah. So that, that, was, that was fun. That was cool. And then over the last five years, we've won it three of the last five years. So pretty consistent. In the two years that we didn't win, we placed second. So, so that's, that's cool. Um, and then uh, COVID hits. Um, COVID was crazy. Um, you've all lived through it. It's, it was nuts. And you didn't know from time to time what was, what was going to be next. And I remember meeting with the, with the senior team thinking, okay, we have some time to prepare for this and, and we're going to start making some plans to transition people home. And then the next day we met and sent everyone home, like just like that, just boom, gone. Um, and then the whole dynamic around COVID, you know, we were supposed to have a two week, everyone stay home for two weeks, right. flatten the curve, yeah. which drove on, which drug on for years. And it was so politicized and trying to make decisions on COVID for the safety of our employees, for the safety of our members. Mm-hmm. You know how we interact with our members, how we're still able to provide that level of support, um, and no, again, no matter what decision you make, there's there's people upset with you, mm-hmm. and so trying to do what's best for the organization, for employees, for their families, for their members, um, that was that was challenging. Yeah, uh, trying to find that balance. Uh, ultimately, I feel like we did a pretty good job with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kept our branches open. We closed we closed our branch lobbies for that required two week time frame. kept our drive throughs open. Uh, outside of that, we didn't have any major closures or outages longer than half a day, you know, yeah. if, if we had an outbreak here or there and we'd go in, fog the, fog the branch and send another team in so we could still provide support to those members. Um, I, I remember hearing stories of some of our credit union friends in Oregon and Washington that, you know, two years in, their lobbies are still closed. Mm-hmm. Members can't meet with employees face-to-face. And I think uh, we did a good job in Idaho of balancing that and still being careful, being taking, being cautious, but, but providing service to, to yeah. members while they needed it. So COVID was big. We're, you know, it, it's still there, but we've moved past COVID. And, and our, our take now is it's the same as any other uh, – Scenario: If you're sick, stay home. We don't yeah. want it, uh, but we don't specifically want to know if it's COVID or a cold or a flu. Just stay home, take care of yourself. Yeah, no one wants to get sick. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was very interesting to live through and to to deal with. And mm. Yeah, I remember some tense meetings as a as a senior team trying to figure out what do we do and how do we do it and what's the right thing and 
that was the thing is like we'd come to the end of those meetings and <laughs> we sort of like we don't we're not even sure we know what the right thing to do is. I don't think there was one right answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was you just did the best you could. Right. And you know, we there were times where employees were wearing masks and some members would get really upset if an employee yeah. was wearing a mask, they'd yell mm-hmm. at him, they'd cause a scene and there were times where employees weren't wearing masks and they'd yell at them and they'd yell at them for that mask yeah. and we'd put a, a plexiglass barrier up at our teller lines and and uh, members would be upset because they couldn't hear mm-hmm. and whatever and uh, you know some of them were upset when we took them down and so it was it was a no-win situation all the way yeah. around but yeah, really I, I, I am proud of how quickly the team responded and we got people home and working from home. And uh, we'd always, like, we've had some employees work distant, remote mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, but it really accelerated our ability to have people work from home and mm-hmm. work remote. And probably even expanded that further than what it would be right now had yeah. we not gone through that. So that's that's a silver lining in COVID. I yeah. I, you know, I... One of the things that almost every business leader has to do, and a lot of them even have written plans for this, is like how to deal with a crisis, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, if you were going to give somebody some advice on here's how you lead an organization through a crisis, whether it's COVID or some natural disaster or or whatever it is, what are the the fundamental, the the like bedrock concepts that you would want them to follow? I would say don't overreact. Mm. Stay calm. Um, that will instill more confidence in the team than anything. Mm. Um, I am proud, you know, years before uh, the credit union had prepped for what was bird flu or whatever, right? Yeah. And so credit union was prepared when there were shortages of N95 masks. We had N95 masks mm. from, we had stockpiles of them, mm-hmm. you know, from years ago. So we were prepared that way. Um, so do what you can to prepare, but then be calm. Don't overreact. Uh, recognize that, that you might make a decision that you have to change later. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to, to make decisions, then change it when you need to. Yeah, don't be too stubborn about yeah. what you decide. Yeah. Um, what was, like, during the last couple of years, and we're kind of, at least in Idaho, we're sort of out of this COVID thing now. Yeah. Um, but when we were right in the midst of it, like when you were going to bed at night, like what was the thing you were thinking about? Like, man, I'm I'm worried about X. To be honest, when we closed our branches, um, what kept me up at night was we didn't know how long that was mm-hmm. going to last. <clears throat> and there's certain jobs that we can do from home and there's certain jobs that you just can't, right? And so we we had this group of employees that we have on payroll that really couldn't do their job so we give them some other things to do in the meantime to kind of get them through but we there's not enough to keep them busy for months on end yeah and so what kept me up at night was uh thinking of those employees Mm -hmm. and their families and how long is this going to last and at what point do we have to make a decision of layoffs Mm -hmm. or not and Mm -hmm. thankfully we never got there. Mm-hmm. We were able to open our branches back up and keep everyone in their jobs and keep everyone employed and keep the income coming. Um, I, the other thing, right at the start, we 
there were so many unknowns and we went back to the drawing board. We took our budget that we just barely passed and we completely rewrote it <laughs> and revised it. And we revised it downward because right? mm -hmm. we thought loans would dry up. We thought that income would, would shrink. Um, and so we started buttoning the hatches and, mm -hmm. and preparing for, for what could be. And, and that made me a little nervous as well because you, you never know how, how you're going to weather that, that storm. Uh, thankfully, in Idaho, things were fairly normal. And with, yeah. the, with the stimulus funds, people actually got more money than they, they had more money in their pockets than mm -hmm. what they were making pre-COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I know a lot of families that, that actually had excess yeah. money during that time frame. They had more money than, than they were used to. And so we, we saw loan growth uh, or loan demand remain really strong. Mm -hmm. um, what we did see is interchange decreased, uh, credit card transactions decreased, that uh, affects some of the income streams. Um, some of the fee income shrank mm -hmm. uh, during the, that time when they have excess funds and they're not overdrawing accounts, they're not you know, bouncing checks, things like that, which are good things, mm -hmm. but it does, it does um, diminish what we had in budget mm -hmm. for, for those, which is normal operating levels. And so it was interesting to see how that all played out. And, um, but the, those tough decisions, I, I don't know, I, it drives my wife nuts because I'm one that I, when I go to bed, I, I hit the bed and I'm out. I just, I don't worry. For something to keep me up at night, it has to be pretty, mm. pretty significant. Even, even big decisions don't generally keep me up at night. Um, worrying about laying employees off, that kept me up at night. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, I mean, these aren't just employees. Like, these are yeah. people you've known for years. These are friends. Yeah. These are people. I've been at the credit union 20 years, and yeah. there's employees that have been here longer than me yeah. that I've worked with for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know them, you know their families, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. We were really fortunate through that whole experience. A lot of people were not nearly as fortunate as we were. A lot of people did get to layoffs. A lot yeah. of people <clears throat> shut down businesses and really struggled through that. Behind the scenes, um, we're part of a credit union association, and, and they were working with Governor Little and his team mm -hmm. to ensure mm -hmm. that, that when they classified um, – businesses as, as, you know, those that could stay open and those that couldn't. They were making sure that we were on those lists that could stay open. Yeah. Not just because of the employees, but because we needed to provide that, those financial services to our members to help yeah. the communities run, to help the small businesses run, to help. Yeah. So there was a lot of work going on behind the scenes mm -hmm. with, with our elected officials, with the governor's office, with our lobbyists, trying to ensure that we could continue to serve the communities. And I think that helped. And then and then Idaho as a whole was pretty resilient through through the pandemic, and and so it it worked out well. Yeah, we had we experienced a lot of growth during during the pandemic. Yeah, so I want I want to ask you about this. So uh, over the five years that you've been CEO, you've doubled the size of the credit union. You've been you've led that growth. Not me alone. No, no, <laughs> but, certainly but the not credit you union alone. has grown. Right. So, but you helped engineer a situation where we could do that. Mm -hmm. This is the secret everybody wants to know, right? This is the mm -hmm. thing everybody, anybody listening, this is what they wanted to hear about, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they wanted to hear about how does one take an organization and double it? How'd you do it? 
Well, I think it comes down to having a really good team. Like, I can't do it alone. And I, I've said all alone, all along, one of the things I'm most proud of is the, the, the senior leadership team that we have here at Eastside Oak Credit Union. I would put our leadership team up against any organization in the country, any size. And, you know, we're $575 million in assets. Uh, still, you would consider a relatively small financial institution. Um, but our team, the, the knowledge, the experience that our team has, I would put them up against multi-billion dollar organizations. Mm-hmm. And I think we could go toe-to-toe mm-hmm. with them. Our team is is really sophisticated. Really I think that's the next yes. season of Survivor is like is is that yeah. like you just described <laughs> our team against someone else's team. Yeah. So I I think that's key having people that that really can drive that growth, drive that success, drive that profitability. Um, another thing that I think was critical in that was a few years ago. Um, I made the decision to split our ops and lending. Mm. Uh, they were under same individual and I split those up and so now we have someone that's over ops and someone that's over lending mm-hmm. and uh, brought in Ethan uh, to the organization Ethan had experience building commercial lending and some programs in other other credit unions mm-hmm. and so that that was like pouring gasoline on a fire yeah right we yep. we we were already headed down the direction mm-hmm. of commercial lending and business accounts and all that type of stuff but to be able to bring someone in that knew it and to build a team around around that knowledge, uh, just poured gasoline on the fire. And so we took our commercial lending from zero to 100 miles an hour, right? Yeah. like overnight. Yep. And and that really helped. Uh, we revamped the indirect lending program and mm-hmm. put some good parameters in place, some good um, tracking in place to make sure that it doesn't go off, off the rails. Because what you see a lot of financial institutions do is they, they get into indirect lending, but they don't monitor it really well uh, up front. They monitor it as delinquencies happen, which are usually 12 to 18 months after you make a loan. Well, by then you have 12 to 18 months worth of loans on the books that you're reacting to. So you get in and then delinquency starts to increase and everyone gets scared. So you pull out or you change things and and then it takes a while for that to all settle down. And so you're out for a year yeah. or two. Then you get back in and get out. And that just creates disruption. And, yeah. and so uh, having the right tools in place around that indirect program, we went from $3 million a month in indirect lending. Uh, last month, we were $34 million. Wow. Uh, and for people who don't know what indirect lending is, what that term means, like when you go to a car dealership to purchase a car, and they hook you up with their like finance guy. Mm-hmm. He he's using us, or he's using some financial organization to help you fund that car. So that's that's what Dan's talking about with an indirect program. Yeah. yeah. So we we partner, not partner, but we work with the dealerships and and provide financing for those vehicles, autos, RVs, yeah, uh, all that type of stuff. And so um, <clears throat> having that program in place and having it set up correctly so that we can monitor on a monthly basis. And understand the credit quality of that that portfolio and make tweaks along the way before it gets to the delinquent mm-hmm. stage. Uh, that's been that's been critical. And now we're just in this opportunity of growth mm-hmm. um, as a whole. And so now uh, we kind of went back and have worked on remodeling branches, building new branches that in in situations where a remodel didn't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. some of our buildings were at a point where. It just yeah. didn't make sense to remodel them, right? Yeah. And so it only made sense to just knock it down. Just be <laughs> done with it. Yeah. And so 
so we went we went through and the buildings that were still in in good condition that we could remodel we remodeled brought in the the same brand elements mm. throughout uh, and now we're actually starting to add new branches. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pocatello was the first one that we added. This year we're, we're scheduled to open one in Meridian. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it won't be this year, but we'll start construction this year in Meridian and in Driggs. And, you know, who knows from there? We, yeah. The sky's the limit. We, we just have this growing demand for the services that we provide. And so we're willing to go in and, and provide those services to members in, yeah. in the communities where we're not currently in participating yeah okay so here's the the million dollar question here sixty four thousand dollar question i think is the proper <laughs> term but, but inflation you know so yeah. we're at a million now but um so we're in a market that's fairly crowded right there's a lot of financial institutions in fact i was driving through rexburg the other day I didn't count but if there were a dozen in my five minute <laughs> drive i wouldn't be shocked um not all of them grow the way East Idaho Credit Union is growing. Why does East Idaho Credit Union grow? And why is there such demand for us and for our products and services? Yeah. So we're the sixth largest credit union in the state right now. Mm-hmm. Um, end of first quarter, if you compare the growth that credit unions had in the first quarter of 2022, there was only one credit union that grew more asset size than us. Yeah. And we're number six in size. So that means we outperformed four of them that are larger than us yeah. in, in growth, right? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to relationships, mm. um, both within our branches and, and our teams, mm-hmm. right? So the way our branch teams know our members is, is an important piece. Yeah. Um, how our call center team knows the members that call in and use mm-hmm. that channel. And then our relationships, even on the indirect market, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen huge shift in indirect from 3 million to $34 million yeah. a month. Crazy. Uh, and it really comes down to relationships and our relationships with our dealer reps, our underwriters, our funders with those, with those dealers, commercial lending, it comes down to relationships, mortgage yeah. lending relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's all about relationships and how we take care of people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is going to be a bit of a pie-in-the-sky one, but Mm -hmm. I I want to ask you, you've got a number of years left in your career. At least 15. At least 15. By the time you hang it up, what do you want to have said that you've done? Man, I hope that at the end... Uh, when I retire, I'm still able to say that that we're committed to the small communities in Idaho. Mm. Mm. You know that's important to me. That's our roots. That's where we 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 got our start. Mm-hmm. Forever, the credit union has been anchored in Arco and Chalice and Salmon and St. Anthony and mm-hmm. Rexburg and Idaho Falls and Shelley. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that that we honor that tradition. Mm-hmm. That that's not lost as we grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't grow and and expand into the Treasure Valley, to, to the Teton Valley, wherever, wherever our path takes us, you know, it could even be another state, it could be, could be anywhere, mm-hmm. the growth is unlimited, um, but we, we won't lose that, those roots that we have. And then um, I, I really hope that the, 
people will think that and, and say of me that I've been able to help people mm. along the way, that, that we've built things versus tear things down. You know, you can grow in lots of different ways, but I think if we can build people, build communities as we grow, uh, that's a much better way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to ask you one last question. Maybe, we'll see. Um, so for our audience, which is largely made up of business owners, if you were going to give them your like top two or three things that you've got to do to make sure that your business is successful. What are those things? What would you tell them? You have to know your CFO really well <laughs> and have a really good relationship with them. Okay, talk. let's talk about that a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Um, that CFO position is, is critical. Like there's a lot, almost all positions are critical, mm-hmm. but that CFO controls so much mm-hmm. of, of what happens in the organization, uh, what gets tracked, what gets, you know, the ebbs and flows of things. Um, that CFO position is is an important one, and, and you need to be able to work in tandem with them. Yeah. You know, sometimes small businesses, the CEO is the CFO. Sure, yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> you know them pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Better um, than you'd like, yeah. <laughs> but you, as that business grows and you, and you bring someone on, man, I've seen some small businesses that really suffer because either – there's a disconnect between the, the leader and the CFO yeah. or because of mismanagement of funds. Mm-hmm. You know, you put too much trust in, there's not enough checks and balances mm-hmm. and, and some money goes missing and it, it can set a small business back a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Is that your first hire then? As you're growing your organization, you go from one to two. When do you bring in the the financial person? You know, I don't know because I've never had that experience. <laughs> right? I, I got to build a credit union out of an existing two hundred and fifty million dollars in right. assets. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think we had one hundred and fifteen employees and thirty thirty thousand members. So yeah, I I didn't get to go at through least that at piece. some point when there's actual money to manage. You need the guy. Yeah, yeah. And so, and even even the strategic piece of that. Yeah, um, being able to. I think beyond just the the finance and the accounting piece of a CFO, they really have to be strategic mm-hmm. because if they're if they're that intimately involved with the finance and the accounting and the whatever and they're not strategic, that can be a mess. Mm-hmm. That can be a that can be a miss, right? Yeah. And so finding the right individual that is that's good with the financial side. Mm-hmm but can think strategically and, and work with people. Yeah. You know, well, you just described our current CFO, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. Jeff vote. He, he, he can do, he could probably do any job in the organization. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only is he a financial genius, but he can speak intelligently to, I I've mean, even seen me. him cook on the barbecue grill at one of your members. <laughs> days, the guy, right? He's the Swiss army knife, right? <laughs> he can do anything. Um, yeah. He, he, he'll sit down and be like, Hey, I had this idea about marketing. And usually when, a CFO walks up and says, "Hey, I've got an idea for marketing." They're You're trying just to like, cut budget. Oh my gosh, this is gonna be, or it's the worst idea you've ever heard in your life. Um, and he he gets it right, mm-hmm. he get, and he gets it across the whole organization too. Yeah. yeah, he's an impressive guy. Well, I spoke earlier about Chris Cardwell, mm-hmm. CFO, and Brad was a CEO when Chris was hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris was amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. Um, a great mentor mm-hmm. for me, but. Um, 
I was nervous when, when Chris left because I was CEO when Chris retired and mm-hmm. had to find a replacement for him. And I was really nervous about that hire, like yeah. really, really nervous about that hire because uh, it is so critical and it can change uh, the direction of an organization. And man, we hit it out of the park when we found Jeff. Yeah, good find. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's advice number one. What else? Um, follow your gut. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some times that my gut told me something and I didn't listen to it to try and uh, give someone a chance or appease something and and that's turned out to bite me in, in the in the long run. Yeah. And so follow your gut, even even though it might be a hard decision, follow your gut. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, sometimes even when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Even when like the, the data doesn't necessarily support yeah. what you're deciding to do. Trust your instincts, trust your experience, follow your gut. And yeah. You'll be fine. It's it's important to get information from others. Yeah. That's it's not bad that they in fact it's great that they have a differ different viewpoint or differing view. Um, that's important. But ultimately, um, you have to you have to make some decisions and and trust Trust your experience. Yeah, you're the you're the leader for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting. I've you know I've watched this happen a few times where we'll, we'll be in a in a senior team meeting and we'll talk about this topic and we'll all fight over it because we all have varying levels of experience and different things and viewpoints and upbringings and we all have our own ideas about how something should work. And um, sometimes we'll even as a group without Dan, <laughs> we'll we'll land on this is what we should do. Uh, then Dan will be like, no, no, no that's not, <laughs> that's not, it. we're going to do this other thing. And, um, and usually I'm like, oh, I can't believe we didn't think of that. That's actually pretty, pretty solid. So sometimes the, the ideas are a little too Texas. <laughs> They're never, there's no such thing as too Texas. Yeah. No such thing. Um, okay. Your, your last piece of advice you would give to somebody. Hmm. Just have fun. I think that's one of the biggest things. One of the biggest changes in our culture was having fun. Um, I remember when when I was first hired, I had to wear a tie, button-up shirt and a tie every day, and the ladies had to wear nylons. I I can't imagine uh, putting a pair of nylons on every day. <laughs> Zach's face over here. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Are you talking? Are you speaking from experience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a picture. There are. There's a picture out there. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. make sure we get that on the. That's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, oh, I don't. Back in I, I think I deleted it. <laughs> oh no, it still it exists. <laughs> was it when you were uh, doing a fundraiser? No, that was just my own choosing. Just the weekend. Oh, it was yeah. the Christmas party. Christmas party that we had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember you showing up to that Christmas party thinking, "Oh my heavens, what has he done?" <laughs> Listen. Our team was, it was Big Bang Theory. We all dressed up as a person, and I was gone that day. So there's five of us, and the day I showed up, they said, you're Penny. So. <laughs> he drew the short straw. I guess. I, I think that was the Christmas party that I wore my Lakers jersey underneath my shirt. Mm-hmm. Which, and I got some booze, which right? Which was the only thing that made me feel better about what I was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I think it is important to note, when they said, you're Penny, he just said, that's fine. He embraced you know, it, he yeah. just like, oh, let's do it. Yeah. I'm not. I I already have the clothes for it, <laughs> right? Yeah. But anyway, I remember, I remember that decision of, so we came from this culture of, you know, the traditional financial institution, yeah. uptight, straight-laced, 
suit and tie. I've never seen a tie in that building before. And um, and we started transitioning to no ties, mm-hmm. to polos. And then I remember when we made the decision to go to jeans. Because mm-hmm. you know, once in a while, we'd, we'd in the past, we'd held this this contest where you, if you paid $5 to whatever charity we were You could wear jeans. For, you could wear jeans for the day, right? <laughs> That's awesome. So that happened once in a blue moon. And now we wear jeans every single day. Right. That transition, when we made that decision, there was a lot of discussion, a lot mm. of angst about it. Mm. But ultimately, we made the decision to move forward and, and have a relaxed, more comfortable culture. And I think our members appreciate it. Yeah. Right? Especially when you get out into some of those rural communities like Arco and Chalice and Salmon. Yeah, they and rode their horse there, and, right? Yeah. And they walk in and they're kicking mud off their boots and... and you're sitting in a suit and tie, I right? I thought you were going to say something different. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could have, but, um, you know, they they really appreciate feeling more like they can connect with you when, yeah. you're, when you're yeah. dressed more like them. So uh, that the the dress code change was, was a, a big piece, and then just having fun. Uh, no matter what leader we've had with over the last 10 years or so, we've had, we've had fun. And now... My thing is Nerf guns. I, I love yeah. Nerf guns. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. uh, we, we were hosting a credit union uh, a week or two ago. They came to look at our core system. And uh, before they left, I said, you can't leave these out of credit union without having a Nerf gun war. <laughs> so I gave them my gun that shoots eight rounds a second. Yeah. Into those bullets, <laughs> little round Nerf bullets yeah. a second. Yep. And I... I told him how to go ambush uh, Edward in our IT team because Edward is always <laughs> yeah he, the new he's usually the ambush yeah he yeah. usually yeah. gets yeah. the new employee so I, I prepped him and and they went and got Edward and That's but they fun. they did it from pretty close range and they shot him in the eye oh, <laughs> but, so they were really nervous right and and they were checking back sorry with Edward me. <laughs> next couple of days we're checking back with me is Edward all right is Edward all right <laughs> you know. It's just part of who we are. Well, I remember my interview here. Um, I come in to this conference room with, it seemed like 38 people in it, interviewed in front of the whole crowd. I'm in the middle of giving some answer, and uh, I'm sure it was Edward busted through the door. And <laughs> He's the one that organized it for <laughs> yeah. us, yeah. But it was like six guys all bust through the door with Nerf guns and just let me have it. And I ended up under the table like with a notebook over my face, I did get shot in the eye and I had to do the rest of my interview with like <laughs> a red eye, <laughs> a red eye. Yeah. What, what did you think of that experience as a, as a candidate? I'm trying to even remember now. Um, it, like I said before, I'm aging at a rate of seven years per year at the <laughs> moment, but um, I did, you know, when I walked into the building and, uh, and I'd talked to you on the phone a number of times before I ever showed up. And I tried to prep you a little bit. A right? little. Yeah. In fact, Franny called me, but I don't know if you know this, but Franny called me maybe the day before I left Texas to come up here for the interview. And she goes, Hey, just don't wear a tie. Okay. Don't wear a tie. <laughs> They'll cut it off. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, you won't leave with it if you, if you bring one in. And, um, but you and I had spoken on the phone a number of times. I'd talked to, I think, Marcy and a couple of other people on the phone before I ever got to Idaho. And um, that interview la- lasted like eight hours or something. It was a long interview. Um, very thorough. It was fun, though. It was it was cool. Everybody was really nice. And I do remember feeling like there's something kind of different about this place. I don't know what different means. I don't know what that is yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember feeling like it was different. And I did remember feeling like when I answered questions, 
people weren't just sitting there like checking a box. They were actually genuinely interested in what I was talking about. Um, and then to get ambushed was, was, uh, I don't remember how I felt. I remember just thinking like being under the table, <laughs> bullets flying and thinking, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good example of the importance we put on having the right people, yeah. the right mm. fit. Yeah. And, and to us, you know, we'll go, we'll go sometime with a vacant position, mm. uh, until we find the right fit Yeah. because that's, that's more important than anything. Yeah. And and honestly, for me, in that bigger panel interview, it's seeing how you interact. I know how you interact with me. Right. We've already had conversations. Right. It's seeing how you interact with a teller mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a back office uh, employee. Mm-hmm. That, that you know, sometimes people look down on them and only direct their their responses to a to the CEO or mm-hmm. the EVP or someone. Mm-hmm. And so, seeing how that fit works within our organization, and then if you, we've had employee or candidates that. Um, We'll ask them ahead of time what happens if, if a Nerf gun war breaks out. And they'll, oh, yeah, that'd be fine. And, and they're in that situation, right? And someone busts in it's and they, they shoot them and they come up and they're just mad. Oh, mm. interesting. And uh, <laughs> guess what? They don't work for us. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. you know, it, it's, I think that's an important piece of how we determine a cultural fit. I remember, I think it was maybe our first phone conversation. You asked me a question. I don't remember exactly word for word, but it was basically if you've got a deadline and you're working like crazy to get something done and somebody busts in your office and shoots you with a Nerf gun, <laughs> how are you going to react? How do you feel about that? And I don't actually remember my answer, but I, I remember going to talk to my wife later and being like, could you believe this weird question this guy had? I think he told me that you'd pull a Nerf gun out and shoot back <laughs> or something. sounds right. Or yeah. that you would go out and join in for a minute and then, and then get back to work. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, I might tell them, like, hey, I got you now. You have to help me finish this. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because like in these interviews, we talk a lot about our culture mm. and a lot about the organization. And I'm assuming that everyone does because, you know, it's part of the interview process. But the, the interesting thing for me is when we hire these senior level team members and and they come in and they start working for us and they've been here for a couple months they have this aha moment mm. where these guys weren't just mm. saying mm. things about their cult. Like they really live this. They really mm-hmm. believe it. And, and they come back and they're like, like you really m- meant what you said. And, yeah. and <laughs> you guys really do this. Sure. Like it's a shock because I think everyone talks about it, but not all of them truly live it. Well, I, yeah, I, I have a great interview story about this same position. Um, so I went in for the panel interview, whatever, and stepped away as they all discussed afterwards. And the plan was to go to dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> everyone went to dinner. And when they got there, they were like, did anyone text Zach? <laughs> so I'm sitting so there. You were the one interviewing. I was the, I was the one interviewing. And they were taking you to dinner, but they and forgot, they to, forgot take to take me to dinner. <laughs> That's great. We had another one um, similar solid. to this. So good. we were interviewing for... Uh, CIO, chief information, or yeah. I think at the time it was a VP of IT yeah. position. And we'd interviewed a couple of candidates. And um, one of them that we interviewed was Bob Hale. And I think we told him that we were meeting at uh, Johnny Carino's <laughs> and we were all at Olive Garden. <laughs> and, and so we're waiting for Bob and Bob's not there. And, and so we start getting nervous. And pretty soon Bob had texted 
I can't remember who, Somebody. someone, yeah. and figured out that we were at a different restaurant. <laughs> that had so, been so stressful. And he came and, and he, he joined us. And I remember we, we sat and talked for hours and, mm-hmm. we, were in, and we were just laughing mm-hmm. at, at Olive Garden, just having a good time. We'd been there way past close. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I knew that First the fit was... First people to ever do that at Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah. That's when I knew the fit was right. Yeah, you know? yeah. Another another candidate that we'd interviewed for that same position when Bob was there, we actually left the interview thinking that's the candidate. Mm. You know, experience. Mm-hmm. The interview was great. We went to dinner, and that individual only focused on a certain subset of people and didn't hold a conversation with the rest of the group. And it was a short dinner, and people were gone. Hmm. And then we turned around and and interviewed Bob. Had a good interview. Right. Um, Went to dinner and stayed for hours. Yeah, and knew yeah. that he was. Right He's just there. so fun and engaging. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, th- I think it's really, really easy to sacrifice a good fit for somebody with the technical skill that you're after. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, really easy to make that choice. And I've watched it happen, but it never plays well mm-hmm. long term. It never goes well for you. Um, I worked at a company once where the CEO was the final interview for every single candidate. Wow. Um, this was like a $1.6 billion company. Uh, How many employees? Know, about 1,600. Wow. All he did was interview well, all day it, long. Well, it took day. a long time to get on his schedule. <laughs> if you had somebody that you wanted to bring in, and it was like a month before he could interview. It was. It got painful after a while. He actually eventually said, "Okay, anybody from the executive team can do it." Um, but he held on to that for so long, um, mostly because he understood that every single person has a net impact on your culture for good or ill, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make sure that they were right. He wasn't interviewing them for any kind of like, "Can they do the job?" Yeah, it's just can I look at you for eight hours a day and, and be okay with that? So, right. Um, ultimately, we spend more time with each other than we do like with our families. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so, being able to work with people is really, really important. People that you like, like I have a pretty strict like no jerk policy because life's just too short mm-hmm. to spend your time working with people you just don't like. Nerf guns and, don't and like being you. shot in the eye are all right. But That's fine. <laughs> you can't be a jerk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 You can only take so much, right? Uh, well, Dan, any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave with our audience? Man, just be yourself. Mm. Go out and work hard. Um, I, I think that's the thing that I learned early on. Even I remember the first job I ever had was uh, mowing lawns. Mm. I started mowing my grandpa's lawn, and then he lined me up with the neighbor, and then pretty soon I had three. And and it was my grandpa taught me and my mom taught me it's work hard, do a good job, do a little extra. Mm-hmm. So don't just mow the lawn. If you see a weed, pull the weed out. Mm. You know, Do something a little extra, go above and beyond. Um, and that served me well, mowing lawns. And I got I worked in grocery for, for a while, and... And if I I started out as a bag boy, and as I did a good job, then I then I get promoted into produce or dairy or wherever. And mm-hmm. so if you if you'll just go do a good job, learn your job first. Don't don't immediately go in and and want to be the CEO, but mm-hmm. go in, learn your job, do it really well, and then learn something else. Go above and beyond and learn something else, and take care of people, treat them like you'd want your mom to be treated. Mm. And uh, you'll be just fine. Yeah. 
Well, great. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on Dragon Slayer. Again, our guest was Dan Thurman, the CEO of East Idaho Credit Union. We will see you next time. Okay, so um, before we get back into this, um, I know you're huge. A hu- what are you doing? <laughs> and they all came. <laughs> you're a huge LeBron James fan. Yeah. How did this happen to you? What happened in your childhood to make you this way? LeBron James. So when I first started uh, watching NBA basketball, uh, LeBron was new. He was young. Okay. So and this would have been like 2004? I don't remember. Something like that? Somewhere in, somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. And um, I think it was Kobe Bryant was all the rage and real cocky, real whatever. And I mm. didn't like that. Mm. And so I picked LeBron because he was the new, young, humble mm. kid, right? Mm-hmm. Well, somewhat humble. Yep, every very, NBA player, very humble. Every yeah. NBA player has to have a certain amount of <laughs> Confidence and pride, right? But uh, yeah, things have changed for him over the years. So. Sure, but you stayed true. Yeah, I'm pretty loyal. <laughs> so Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland. So how many LeBron jerseys do you own? One. Just the one? Just yeah. the Lakers I'm one? I'm too cheap. They're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so I've only bought one. It was when you went to the Lakers. What about? And I, I hate the Lakers. Like, I, that was the worst movie could have made. I hate the Lakers. That's some dedication. But I'm, but I'm loyal, so now I, now I'm a Laker fan. You're, you, can you really say that that, that you're a Lakers it? fan? He's no. like, I'm, I'm a, a LeBron fan. fan. You're a LeBron fan. I yeah. feel like basketball is one of the only sports where you're more of a fan of the player than you are of the team, except for Zach with the Jazz. Mm. Um, yeah. That's some loyalty right there. That's that, dedication. How that's do you feel rough. About, uh, Rudy, um, I'm a little sad, but yeah. we also fleeced. Yeah. The Timberwolves with what we got for Rudy. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even hear what happened. What we, happened? We traded Rudy Gobert four, five first round picks, five, <laughs> uh, and then like their six players. Their <laughs> first their first round pick last year, uh-huh. and f- four other role players. Wow, five Please. first rounders wow. for how old is Rudy? He's got 30. 30. Yeah, thirty years old. Pretty, they'll be able to build their whole franchise off that pick. Yeah, if yeah. they don't mess it up which we do <laughs> we have a history of it but don't you have a new um new coach new coach new coach got a brand new coach as well and as soon as who's kevin the, who's as soon the owner now a ryan smith the qualtrics guy yeah so i know ryan smith personally of yeah, course you, you do i do about that i know i didn't bit. brag about it it's just true just name drop okay yeah. yeah no big deal <laughs> i've had lunch with ryan before right yeah i've got a cell phone number yeah sure, sure. i don't have a cell phone number i had lunch with mike pence too <laughs> Oh, how was Mike? No, how was that? He was at the GAC a couple. Of oh, okay. I, at the, at the, I, I didn't sit next to him. I, I, I do have a picture next to him. A, a Mike Pence picture. Yeah, nice. yeah, selfie. It's like a selfie from across the room. While <laughs> no, I was cross them in. I was there. Let's see it. Let's see it. Now I got to defend myself. I can't wait to see this. Andrea's picture. gonna be like, "That was photoshopped in." <laughs> see if I can find it. <laughs> I will say I I do know Ryan, but I don't really care for him either. Mm-hmm. Right? We're just two different kind of guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's probably my age. Isn't Dwayne Wade a mm-hmm. part owner as well? Yep. 
which is super oh, weird. Oh, in the jazz? Yeah. yeah. You know him as well. I know that, yeah. Dwayne and I, we, we go right way back, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, yeah. just partying in Miami. Spell his name. Uh, I would rather not. <laughs> if you don't know, no one gets it right. <laughs> uh, what is it? How do you spell his name? D W D W Y Y A N E. Oh. Okay. Dwayne. Dwayne. I mean, I guess that's phonetic, sort of. Hmm. Okay. Um, having trouble finding that picture, huh, Dan? Yeah. Like it? Maybe it didn't happen. No, I'll find it here. I'm. I'm on Amazon Photos now, okay. so I think it's off my phone and uploaded here. Okay, what's what's your biggest like celebrity experience? Mm, too many to count. <laughs> oh. Too many to count. Well, she's from California. This is true. So I've actually just... had quite a bit of celebrity okay, encounters. Okay, okay, okay. What's the best one? Mm, shoot. See, there I am. Well, where I'm are there. you? You're not. <laughs> I'm taking the picture. <laughs> You're taking the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so here, here's uh, here's our former VP of marketing. Uh, I thought you said you were in the picture. Well, not, I not didn't, taking I didn't. the picture. He's not yeah. even smiling for your picture. He, he doesn't even know you're picture. in the room. Oh yeah, he. We had a great conversation. <laughs> I can't talk to him. And no. I actually, you could, yeah, you, I could you say, hand. hey, Mike, I should get a picture. Hand. Is all. Bring your selfie stick. He, he moved pretty. The Secret Service kept him moving. I'm sure fast. they don't yeah. let him sit around for very Makes long. Sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a picture of him, like yeah. from like back, like looking at like Bigfoot a little bit. I was, like, I was in, I was like two or three rows back from. Yeah. Okay. Best celebrity experience. Best, I don't know. Okay, a celebrity experience. Do you remember Shark Boy and Lava Girl? No. Yes. Yep. Yes. Totally. Shark what, what Boy would see him at the gas station all the time. He went to like my competitor <laughs> high school. Do you know what they're talking about? Well, Shark, Shark Boy eventually Shark ended Shark up in Twilight, right? Yeah, Twilight. Twilight. I've never seen it. Oh, my goodness. Taylor Lautner. That's his name. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know who that guy is. Yeah. Are you friends with him? Is he Shark Boy? Yeah. Why is he Shark Boy? It's a role he played in a movie. Oh, what movie? Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> You're just too old to I, understand. I don't I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. It's okay. Um okay. See if I could find the John Gruden photo. <laughs> you let me wear his uh Super Bowl. That's ring. pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty that is cool. cool. That's cool. Yeah. I saw that's Andre Ethier at Walmart. He was Who's on the Dodgers. That? Oh, okay, okay. My mom okay. had like the biggest crush on him. So it was He's the ball boy. Awesome. Ball boy. Yeah. <laughs> ball boy. Ball boy. Okay. I think my absolute best celebrity like experience. I'm on a plane. Fly- I can't remember where I'm flying from, but I'm going to Salt Lake City. Okay, and Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. No, <laughs> this guy sits down next to me, and, I, and I'm I'm a friendly person, so I'm just talking to him, right? I'm just some small talk, and um, and I I was like, oh, what do you do for a living, right? Are you traveling for business or pleasure? He's like, oh, it's some business. I'm like, oh, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm a, I'm a singer, an actor. And I'm like, oh, okay. Have I seen you in anything before? And he's like, oh, yeah, prob- probably. I think you probably have. It was Donny Osmond. Oh, my god! I didn't recognize him at all. I couldn't tell who he was. Was he offended by? Mm, 
I don't think so. Why, why couldn't you tell who he was? Too much plastic surgery? I don't. I just <laughs> didn't. Look, I didn't grow up with Donny Osmond. That was like really my parents' generation. I know him from like um, Mulan, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, that um, amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Like I knew mm-hmm. him from that movie. Um, but I didn't like know him super well. And he, and he looks older in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He goes to church uh, in the same building as my brother-in-law. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he didn't seem that irritated, but I, you can I tell there was a I hate to call you out here and you tell me to stop, but okay. is that really your best celebrity experience? <laughs> I do have a better one. Good point. Good is it point. by drinking? <laughs> yeah. yeah I do have it. a better one, but I shouldn't share it. Okay. <laughs> I've oh. met Mark Cuban twice. I've actually, I've told you this story. Okay. I, don't he I better not tell the story. Yeah. It's fun. Okay, I'm going to tell it. Okay. So <laughs> they made me do it. <laughs> this will be his excuse. They made me do it. So I'm like so I'm from the Dallas, Texas area, right? And so I'm in high school. Mark Cuban has just bought the Mavericks and he's just like man about town, right? He's young, he's ridiculously wealthy. He's just living it up. And so we're we have like a prom night date. At oh, Reunion Tower. Yeah, you've heard this story. At Reunion Tower in Dallas, right? So if you're from Dallas, it's that big building that has, like, the ball on the top. The ball on the top is a restaurant, okay? And it's cool, actually. Like, that ball spins, like, every hour or something. It makes a complete revolution. It's a cool place. And big windows. You get to see the whole skyline. It's great. Um, so anyway, Mark Cuban is in there having a he's partying. Okay. He's partying and it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, my group of like 17, 18 year old kids is over at the table and, and he starts going around. There's a woman with him with like a high heel shoe and he's filled the shoe with like wine and he's taking it around (laughs) to different tables, asking people to drink wine from the shoe. So that's, that's the first time I met Mark Cuban. How did it taste? Um, a little sweaty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gross. You would do anything for a celebrity? Um, I, I don't, I would, I mean, when I was 17, yeah. <laughs> but that was the first time I met Mark Cuban. Maybe on the next episode, I'll tell you about the second time I met him. Stay tuned for part two. <laughs> That's right.